Hello, hello, hello. I wish there was a way. Maybe there is a way. That's not the way. Maybe that's the way. That's not the way either. I was trying to find a way of having the video with the music behind so that I can talk and do the intro while the music's behind me. I still haven't quite figured that out yet, but I'm trying. Uh, but hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, and I am delighted today to be joined by Phil Jordan of HomeServe. And we're going to be getting into how HomeServe is using Dialogflow in its call center, the use cases, the learnings, the value that it's bringing, and some tips and tricks for how you can do the same. But before we do that, before we bring Phil along, I'd like to give a shout out out to Deepgram, our presenting sponsor. If you don't know about Deepgram, it is industry-leading speech recognition. Uh, it's all API-based. And so if you're creating conversational agents, if you're creating voice bots, either in the call center, like we're going to be discussing today, or in your app, wherever you might put them, uh, you can use Deepgram. It's got immense accuracy. It's incredibly quick. And crucially, it allows you to retrain the speech recognition models based on your specific use case, your domain, or even the, your specific customers. You might have certain types of accents or what have you, uh, certain types of dialects, certain types of uh, language or phrases, or, you know, colloquialisms that are used and stuff like that. You can retrain it based on that, which means that you get higher accuracy into your NLU system, which means the whole experience ends up being far better. So if you are interested in that, please do check out deepgram.com forward slash V-U-X world. That is deepgram.com forward slash V-U-X world thank you deep grant for sponsoring the show and if you're not yet subscribed to vux world please do so vux.world forward slash subscribe you'll get all of the invites to epic episodes like this uh, with industry experts and practitioners teaching you how to implement conversational ai successfully vux.world forward slash subscribe okay now let's get on with it phil jordan welcome to vux world okay thanks for having me no worries, no worries. I've just realised as I've brought you on there, we're both part of the uh, some kind of green t-shirt army it's... sort of crew or something. I think we both must have had a message going on, like let's let's wear green today. It wasn't in the instructions. I just uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's nice, uh, nice to nice for you to join us. Appreciate it. Uh, how's things? Yeah, good. Yeah, very good. It's uh, it's busy. I think um, I think we're, we're definitely. I think everyone's motoring forward, especially with this kind of work. Um, Looking at things like self-service and then voice automation, is there's a lot of competing technologies out there. I think it's picking a lot of interest in, in almost every industry. I think it's fair to say. Um, so yeah, definitely busy. Everything's good. Can't 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 complain. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so maybe it would be worth a um, maybe some background, certainly for the US listeners and perhaps people in Europe and and beyond as well, um, in terms of what HomeServe. Does. I'm assuming there's some comparative types of companies in, in the US and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but maybe, yeah. maybe we can kick off just with a bit of an overview of, of HomeServe and then we can talk about yourself and how you got interested in, in this kind of technology and all that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, so, so HomeServe actually, we've got a, we're based in the US as well, as well as uh, oh, right. so, so France and Spain as well. Um, but we are a home assistance insurance company. We um, sell insurance for problems in the home, so things like uh, plumbing issues, gas issues, um, pest security, electrics, um, drainage problems as well. We'll sell insurance and, and uh, in the event that you have a problem, you can call us up and we also have a fleet of engineers and contractors that we can then send you home, fix the problem and fulfill that claim um, when we do. So that, that is the basis of, a, of our business and um, yeah, we, we, we do it well, I think, uh, across all those, all those areas. Nice, nice, nice. And, and for yourself then, Head of Contact Channel Automation and Self-Service, Tell us a little bit about your role, your remit, and what it is that you do with HomeServe. 
Yeah, so my role is to is to try and progress our, our self service strategy within the UK itself. So um, there's other teams within the other within the other uh, regions working on very similar things. So looking at digital self service, but also voice self service is one thing that we've managed to break into. A lot of um, maybe one of the biggest issues with it, with the insurance industry is it's quite hard to digitise that that industry. It's, uh, insurance products are things that you tend not to continually. Um, use over over and again multiple times within let's say a month or annual period it tends to be something you use when you need it so to try and digitize or, or push customers towards apps and so on in that industry is quite difficult so we receive um the majority of our claims via the phone via customers picking up the phone and calling us especially considering the type of insurance we sell so looking at problems in the home you, you tend to pick up the phone because you, you need someone immediately you want you want that problem solved as fast as possible that's the product we're selling so um, we, we put this in place to have a look at actually what could we do um, within HomeServe to try and uh, provide customers with it with an immediate response to that that problem. So where they have an issue in the home, they identify they've got no heating or hot water or they've got a leak or a drainage issue. They can pick up the phone and they can interact with the products at any time. That's what we were trying to accomplish with this. Um, we, we started... It's been a bit of an evolution more than a revolution with HomeServe. We started all the way back with sort of the birth of IDMV when we want to identify who a customer is before they're calling so we can pass that information to the agent. We can do things like pop up the, the policy of that customer and we can introduce them more personally. So we don't have to go through that process of, of looking for, for records and so on. And we did that in 2016. So we, we, at that point, we knew who the customer was. Um, we then looked at in something called intelligent call routine, which is where now we know who the customer is. Can we use certain data points to adapt the menus that we're offering? So instead of that DTMF IVR where we're offering you a press one for this or two for that, um, could we offer you um, something which is a bit more bespoke to your needs? So you've called us and we can see that you have an existing claim already or an open claim. We can say, we can see that you have an existing claim. Would you like to talk about this? So trying to provide them with a, a more immediate solution to their potential problem. Um, that, that was in 2017, but then we started looking at what we could do with, with IBR automation. So um, looking at directed dialogue, um, which is a pretty much a, you know, answer this way or this way. We, we started mm. seeing what we could do because we now know who the customer is and what problem they've got. How do we how do we start to then fully automate those claims? Because all we need after that, we just need to have a look at, obviously, Rajiv Kumar on the chat up there. He's mm -hmm. a guy that helps us actually with the ICR um, automation as well. So Shout out to Rajiv. Nice for joining us. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we started looking at actually how can we fully automate those transactions? We've got now who the customer is, what problem they've received. Now all we need from them is a date they want us to come and fix the problem for them and a contact telephone number. Once we've got that information, we can then go all the way through that. And we did that pretty successfully with this directed dialogue technology. Um, but we, we saw the limitations immediately. When you, when you have to almost push a customer into ways of replying, um, it becomes, um, you get a lot of dropout during that journey. You get a lot of customers replying in the wrong way. We don't quite describe the issue that they're, they're seeing um, in, in exactly the way that they want to describe it. So that's where we started looking at um, natural language solutions, things like you know your AWS, your IBM Watsons, and your Google Dialog Flows, um, to see what we could do to try and um, solve that problem of how a customer describes a problem in their home and see if we could actually speed that process up. It was taking around 15 questions to get a customer all the way through an automated journey. Now we've got to the point with what we've done with the direct sorry, the, the, the dialogue flow model that we've created, we can now raise claims within two minutes, um, fully, fully automated claims in two minutes. Wow, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, what is the... Um 
what was the sort of the, the the need for exploring it? I mean, it obviously sounds as though you've been on a journey. You've begun trying to um, get smarter about how you interact with customers, shortening down interaction times by being able to gather a bit more data ahead of time so the agents are equipped with likely what the issue is about and who the caller is and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So all of this sounds sounds as though it's kind of really about trying to provide a good customer experience. You yeah. know, there's there's some knock on benefits there around. You might decrease call times and stuff like that. But it sounds it sounds as though mainly the aim is to increase customer experience. What, what is is that the case? Like, what were some of the sort of like business drivers behind wanting to advance from the um, directed dialogue into more automated solutions? Well, we got um, the reason why we wanted to do this is, like I said, it's about access to products. We wanted to make sure that the customers for those simple transactions where they're just describing maybe a you know a faulty tap, the kind of thing that. Um, almost uh, doesn't doesn't require the human um, with those repeatable high volume transactions where they're just trying to get that problem solved as quick as possible. Um, they're trying to get the engineer into their house so they can fix their problem and get on with their lives. So that's what we're trying to accomplish for them. Um, really, what we were trying to do was we're trying to offer that effortless self service experience. Um, we we want to leave them more, if not as if not more satisfied than when they spoke to one of our representatives. So. Um, we wanted to automate some of those simpler, more high-volume transactions, but we wanted to do it in a way that was, you know, easier than speaking to a human. Um, that was that was one of the main goals of this of this program. Um, is, is always providing them with that that solution when they need it, rather than um, almost you know, almost instantly as we're trying to get to. Mm. So yeah, customer experience was absolutely the heart of this. We're trying to make sure that, that they can always access their products when they need it. Yeah, interesting. Was was there any? So you know, I mean, a lot of call centers are facing very similar kind of issues and challenges around recruitment, high call volumes, you know, attrition, stuff like that. Was there any things like that that were part of it, or was it purely around being customer centric and trying to you know increase access uh, for customers and introduce that twenty four seven availability and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's it. I mean, because obviously, yeah, that that problem is still is still persistent within. Um, Within home surf across both of our contact centers that we have within the UK, um, but which we, we, we are just trying to drive that, that customer experience forward. We're trying to offer, um, almost trying to bring it to the point of which we, I suppose, trying to bring it into new new markets. We we have quite an elderly demographic home surf um, with the, with the products we sell. Um, people like me, for example, um, sort of millennial homeowners with with young families and so on. Um, we just want access to products via multiple channels. Um, I, I tend to go digital when I when I interact with the businesses. I, I I, I speak to if we don't have those channels available um, and we don't allow that kind of access that sort of instantaneous access so people are very time scarce nowadays we want to make sure um, that they can always get access to those products whatever they mm. need mm. and, and it, it sound, it's, it's a, it's a interesting type of business as well insurance because it's a little bit like government kind of organizations where you know there's there's always an onboarding process you move move house you register for council tax your passport runs out you need to get a new passport you get a new car you need to tax your car but that first interaction as high volume as it may be because you hopefully have an increase in customers over time there's very little actual daily involvement required as you kind of alluded to until until something goes wrong and when something goes wrong it's usually kind of like, well, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but but in, in, in the sort of government space, there's this perception in people's minds that when something goes wrong, it's too specific and too personal to them that there's never going to be a self-service solution available. So I just need to speak to somebody about this. Is that the same kind of perception that customers of HomeServe have? 
I, th- I think, yeah, it's definitely the perception that we probably had within HomeServe as well, which is that, you know, when we're dealing with the problems that the customers are dealing with, they've normally got a fault in their house somewhere. And your house is your castle. It's, it's, it's probably the biggest asset that most of us own, I think, as it stands. So what we're trying to do is, you know, there's very limited interactions that we have with our customers, maybe, you know, once or twice, maybe perhaps even three times a year, where they actually need to, to call upon the product that, that we've sold. Um, we want to make sure that, I suppose, they, they, can, they can easily access that because we, we find ourselves in a position where customers tend not to go digital. They tend not to have the app on their phone and so on um, because it, it's something that, um, like I said, you, you're not going to interact with very often. When, when you have an app, I think they, they expect a daily or weekly interaction with, with those apps in order to make them worthwhile. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It is when, when they do come through, we're, we're trying to be in a position where um, we can take the, those, those simpler transactions. We, we know that the, the human agent is always going to be essential to every business, as, as, every contact center business, because um, there will always be a scenario that they can't be handled by automation. We need to appreciate the limitations of this, of this technology as well as understand the capabilities of it, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. fair to say. Um, the, the limitations are where um, it, we need something empathetic, where, where a customer is experiencing a severe leak or an emergency, which we do get um, through, our, through our models. We, we, we actually have intense in, 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 a, in place where we can identify if there is a severe leak, if it's causing severe damage to the home or, or actually the customer's without a toilet, for example. But those are the kind of scenarios where a human has to step in and they need to, they need to do something exceptional for that customer. So it, they're, they're, you've got to try and strike the balance between making sure that you can deal with those, those simpler transactions. There's ones that, that you just got to get out of the way. Booking a boiler service being a great example of it. It's one of those things that I don't need it immediately. I need it in the next two to three weeks. Um, I'm happy to wait for it. And, um, I just want the, the problem solved or the, or the appointment booked as quick as possible in time that suits me. Um, those are the kind of transactions that we can start to remove from, from these contact centers. Mm, mm, interesting. Um, that's interesting. So so it sounds as though you you already had an idea of the kind of use cases that you, that you might look to automate. You've kind of gone through this journey of incrementally getting smarter about kind of identifying customers, understanding their issues, tried a little bit of natural language kind of processing in the IVR, albeit kind of like, um, you know, directed dialogue. And mm-hmm. now you're kind of moving into trying to do something a bit more sophisticated, uh, using more kind of advanced NLU solutions. It sounds as though you had a, a rough idea of the kind of use cases you want to get to you mentioned there amazon alex ibm watson google dialogue floor where did you begin that journey and and where how did you arrive at dialogue floor as a solution so we, we ended up using dialogue flow as a proof of concept with a with a with a development company that we were working with at the time which are they've now they're now owned by savio so savio is still the partner that we're working with with this dialogue flow the, the reason why we chose it is because we we ran that proof of concept we we um we, we tried to test some hypotheses, so we, we did it. We attached it to the side of our virus state. It's a it's a Google dialogue flow, which which enters this this application called Airline, which is hosted by Savio, it's a Savio product, uh, and then into Twilio, which then attaches to our via telephony estate, which we can then pass those calls through. We started just by asking uh, a simple question, which was in a few words, please say how we can help you today, um, just to identify that utterance capture to understand what the customers wanted to talk about when they're calling home serve. Um, we got a lot of insight from the back of that, but the, but the real test of the hypothesis we were trying to get out of this was to what level of detail can we actually identify what the customer's problem is. And I think, like I said, we were very targeted on claims. Claims, those new claims, those ethanol claims are uh, a third of what we receive from a call volume perspective. Um, so they're, they're relatively repetitive. Like I said, we need to know 
what the customer's problem is, what, what issue needs fixing, um, who that customer is, um, what date and time they want us to come and visit, and make sure that's the time that suits them. Uh, and then finally, what telephone number we can contact them on, and then we've essentially solved that. We, we, can, we can raise that claim. We have all the information we need to provide the customer with the solution, the product, which is the engineer and I fixing the problem. That's what we're trying to do. Um, with the hypothesis we were saying, so what, what level of detail can we actually identify these problems? Was it to a trade level? Can we identify if it's a plumber, a drainage engineer, or a gas engineer? Um, can we identify it to a, maybe a problem type? Is it a leak, a blockage, or, or something else? Um, or can we identify it down to the problem in which we, I suppose, can, can attribute it with a code that the system can start to consume, which is, is it a, a blocked kitchen sink? Is it a leaking outside drain? Those are the kind of problems we wanted to try and get it to. Um, so we did a, a six-week proof of concept on this, and we actually identified just focusing very, very targeted on our blockage journey, simple simple blocked problems, which is I have blocked toilets, blocks uh, kitchen sink, blocked outside drain. Those are the kind of things we started looking at. And actually, we identified that those those sort of system-consumed codes that, that we call we call fault codes here, which which tell us actually um, whether the customer is covered for that problem that they're trying to claim for and what engineer they need. And we, we found out that actually we could use this technology to do just that. So uh, with, with that in mind, um, we, we, we put in the business case and we started saying, actually, we think we can target our claims volume with this and, and additionally things like boiler service volume as well. Because when a customer comes through in the state, they want to book their boiler service, it's a simple check to see if they're, if they're due one. If they are due one, what date and time would you like? And again, we have all the information we need. So, so those are the use cases we're really targeting, those, those high volume transactions, which I suppose from a process perspective just require the same information to be captured every time. The complexity then comes in, how do we diagnose the problem to a point in which we can identify whether they're covered and what engineer we need. Mm, interesting. But it's but it's a use but all of those are use cases that don't really require anything kind of out of the ordinary, so to speak, isn't it? Like you've got the information somewhere. You yes. know, you just need to get to it. And the the kind of resolution isn't a resolution that really needs um kind of a human eye if they're covered they're covered if they're not covered they're not covered so really the 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 real problem i suppose becomes about accurately identifying what's said is it yeah exactly yeah it's it's the 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 brains of the operation are in the middleware and which sit within the crm so you know to identify someone's covers it's it's the simple passing of a code with a customer reference number say you know here's this customer and they have this problem give us a yes or no back are they covered or are they not it's exactly to what you said. Is it's identifying to an accurate level. Do we know what this problem this customer has received, um, or what this pro- problem this customer is experiencing, um, and to what level of accuracy we can identify that? So yeah, it is. It is all about the accuracy of that diagnosis that we want to get to. Mm, interesting. So you began. You began with purely blockages. You said. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just looking at blockage problems because we separated. We used to separate our. Um, home serve problems into trades. So it's, it's a drainage problem, it's a plumbing issue, it's, um, it's a gas problem is what we tend to find. But actually, it, when, when you start to overlay that question, which is in a few words, please say how we can today, you have to start responding to the way the customer describes an issue. They don't, they don't come through and say, I need a drainage engineer. They, they tend to come through and say, I've got a block toilet. And then we have to decipher some questions to say, actually, um, is it inside or outside the home? Is, it, is this a problem? So we tend to do that by, by asking specific questions. Is it upstairs or downstairs? If it's downstairs, it's probably outside in the outside sewer somewhere. So we need to send a drainage engineer for that. If it's upstairs, it's, a, it's probably a plumbing issue that we can get to. And, you know, th- that's the kind of way that we have to sort of decipher it. We have to work from the bottom upwards, which is here are all our codes, here are all our problems that we can deal with, that the engineers attributed to them. But then from the top down, which is how do I design an intent model 
which gets me from there to here. And what questions do I need to ask, which which can tell me, um, you know, that this blockage is in the kitchen, it's, it's the sink, and it's potentially in the outside drain. Those are the kind of things that we can, that's where the complexity comes in. And that's where um, the guys that work on our intent model um, in our operations team, they they put a lot of effort into that. There's lots of lots of check-ins, lots of language updates, and lots of sort of model model reviews that they like to do on that. Mm, interesting. Um, so how, how long was that trial running for? So the, the proof of concept itself was running for six weeks, and then, and then we shut it off. Right. We took all the data that we caught, caught out of it, and this was back in 2020. Um, but after that, we once the business case went in, we, we kicked off formally. We got Savio involved. We got our... We set up a sprint team, which was a it was a collective of of um, Savio, HomeServe, a bit of operational, a bit of tech and change kind of um, responsibilities. Like I, I I'm not from a tech background. My my background is business improvement with leading Six Sigma and stuff. So so my I'm almost a process expert is where it came for it. So I was trying to lead on a program of work, which was which people do I need to do this? So we've got business analysts, middleware developers, the sit on the HomeServe side who understand. Our systems, our APIs, and and sort of our, the way the way our processes work within our within our contact centers in the field. Uh, we've got operations guys that, that help run the telephony um, and, and make sure that we're you know routing customers in the event that we've identified an intent for them to the right place, to the right team, um, in the right way. And then we've got the developers we're working on with Sabio, um, who are based all over the world. We've we've had guys from Ethiopia, Ukraine, Bolivia, Greece, um, and, and Cyprus as well. Just just working with us to sort of build the, the dialogue flow model up. So we, we sort of create the use cases, we create the, the requirements for them, uh, and they go and help build. Um, and then they've been they've been exceptional. They've been almost merged into the home serve team and been working with them um, to to sort of solve home service problems, of which um, you know it's it's many many different problems. When you start laying over automation over what was traditionally an aging journey, you start to identify. You know, slow APIs. You start to identify potential system latency, and then think things that you that you want to start to to solve. And, and these guys have been really good at solving those problems. Mm, interesting, interesting. So, so, so the proof of concept went well. The business case was created. You then kind of formalized it, brought in uh, Sabio, who could implement, <clears throat> got the team together. What, what were the kind of next steps as far as the kind of use cases? So had you already identified your use cases? Were you building on top of the POC? Like how did you approach roadmapping this kind of this thing? Yes, we started to say essentially how, what's our opportunity within, within, our, uh, within our new claim space? What, what could we go after? But then also what are our opportunities? Because when we start to overlay uh, that question, which is in a few words, please say how we can help you today, we start to then, that's what starts to draw out your use cases. So what what kind of things are customers saying that they want to do? Because now instead of identifying problems down to a skill level, which is not normally what we had, we had a first notification of loss skill. We had an existing claims skill, a retention skill, sales, um, a customer service one. All of a sudden, your, your customer service skill explodes into into 17 to 20 different transactions that that customer wants to complete. It's not it's not customer service anymore. It's I, I want to change my bank details. I want to update my address. Um, and it's not F not anymore. It's not first notification loss. It's blockage issues, plumbing issues, um, oh, sorry, um, leaking issues, toilet taps, all those kind of things that they explode outwards. And then that's where you can start to target your use cases because the one thing that that you do get inundated with when you when you overlay robotics into your contact center is data, mm. and, and trying to trying to organize that into okay, all these customers are saying all these things. How do I how do I start to bucket them up to begin with? And then after I've got a bucket, I need to turn that into a glass. Like and then once I've got a glass, I need to turn that into a shot glass. And trying to trying to almost segregate these things out into into a transactional level, and then 
that's how you start to build your use cases up. You start to look at the data. You always have to go in to these kind of programs of work with, with zero expectation of what may happen. I think be targeted on on the kind of things you want to focus on. Like like we were, we were very targeted on. We need to be able to diagnose claims down to a down to a specific problem type. Mm. Um, but then also don't don't go in with any expectations of what you might find when you when you start to expand your intent model out. Mm, interesting. That's a really good way of approaching it. Um, starting with capturing a problem. The thing that often um, dissuades people from doing that is that people think that it's a risk in having a bot there that does nothing that just says how can I help you and then hands over to an agent and even some some companies think it's a risk even trialing um, a, a bot you know if you if you put it behind a, a DTMF option and you had it live for a few days and stuff like that there's always yeah. this kind of risk about going live with something that's not quite finished so I'm wondering if you could shed some advice on people who might be tuning in who might be a little bit averse to just kind of putting something out there for the, for the sole purposes of capturing data in order to inform their program, because that is the single most important thing that businesses need and also overlook. So (laughs) was there anything that you had to do in order to implement that initial kind of, um, you know, initial kind of query capture or what advice would you give to people who are essentially, it was was working closely with our risk and compliance guys. I think that's that's one thing. In a regulated environment, you've got to make sure that what you're doing is to the benefit of the customer. Every every time we do something, it has to be to the benefit of the customer. So we we knew that eventually we were going to produce a benefit off the back of this and we made sure that we stayed, we kept it relatively low scale. We, we, We focused on a single phone number, which was our website contact us phone number, which, which produces about 10% of our total call volume, but tends to have a mix of everything on it. So you can get there from Google. When you Google home serve number, um, you, you get the, that, that contact us phone number that you that we can pull out. So we, we overlaid it onto that, but only a small proportion of that to begin with. And we started slowly ramping it up to try and get as much insight as we possibly could. So we weren't just all of a sudden switch, flicking a switch and all of our call volume was suddenly going through this, this dialogue flow model. Um, we had to we had to start very small and then ramp it up slowly, taking the learnings we did, start to then develop an intent model because within the, the, the first few few weeks, we had a point where we actually we weren't then passing them into a secondary IVR. We were actually passing the majority of those calls directly into the contact center because, you know, certain certain things that come through, I want to buy a policy, I want to, I want to make a claim, I want to, um, I've got a leaking pipe and so on. Before you start overlaying any automation or, or identification or verification on it, you can just start passing those to your agents at that point. So now, they are just having a one-touch experience, which which probably is significantly quicker than going through any DTMF IVR, where you have to list maybe seven or eight different different options for a customer. Might not be the one they want. We normally finish a lot of our DTMF IVRs within anything else option. That's where the majority of your customers tend to go because we haven't offered them everything. Um, I think without listening to what customers want to do and how they want to talk to you and, and the way they describe the way they want to talk to you. Um, your struggle to build that intent model out um, in an effective way. Mm, interesting. So, so you have gone through the process of doing that. Then you've you've gathered a lot of data. Did you do that? How long did you do that for? In terms of that, in, that was capture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we did it for the. I mean, we're still doing it now. As I say, we're still, we're still right. capturing the way customers want to talk. We're still adding new intents to. to um, to our models based on, on business requirements, based on, you know, we, we just added this new line of business or this new product type. That's a new intent. We've got to add to that. I think you, once you, you've got to bear in mind that when you when you land these things, they're a living and breathing thing. They're in, they become a virtual extension of your contact center. Um, 
especially when it, when you start overlaying things like identification and verification into it, it all of a sudden starts consuming workload within your contact center at that point. So mm. actually it, it's, it's taking agent workload out of the contact center. So this is now part of the operation. There's no way you can dissociate the two or just switch it off at any point. Um, I think, I think it's, it's fair to say that we started utterance capture back in 2020 and we're still doing utterance capture today, but actually we're quite happy with the way we're routing the vast majority of the calls. It's, you always end up with, um, it's called a default fallback. So where we, a customer has said something that we don't understand. We haven't categorized this one yet. And we've got over, you know, 150 different intents that a customer can land in as a result of saying something off the first question. Um, with that, we have this default fallback where a customer says something that we just haven't categorized yet. So so our operations team, um, it's Ross Parks and Matt, Matt Bailey, they, they weekly catch up. They have a look at what fell into that sort of, six or seven percent of customers and try and find out a way of categorizing them in some way maybe asking a question slightly differently to have to root them back in and, and keep them on the journey to make sure we can get to the right agent it's probably the biggest reason why mm-hmm. interesting so so it sounds as it all happened fairly organically then so you've got this initial kind of greeting which is tell me how i can help you you do mm-hmm. some work to try and you know, gather that data, organize it into those kind of like bigger buckets buckets of this is a plumbing issue, this is a drain issue, whatever, and then smaller buckets into this is specific to toilets or leaking taps or whatever it might be. Um, So correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds as though you began on the intents that you could identify but couldn't fulfill initially, you were handing those off to a live agent. Is that right? But the agent was then informed about this situation. Yeah, that's it. So uh, to begin with, we weren't even informing the agent. So it was, it was okay. so we were asking a question. We were identifying what the customer wanted to speak about, and we were routing it to the right skill level agent at that stage. It's um, it's only when we then added identification and verification. So we, we then added that to it. We could then identify who this customer was, and we could start to jump on the screen pot we'd already created within the, within the contact center. So yeah, we had to build this up because we already had a capability um, which was doing um, routing automation. Um, as, as well as IDMB as well. So we had to build essentially almost pretty much the finished article on a small proportion of call volume and then start to ramp it across. So start to consume what we'd already built um, and build it across that way. Because I can imagine there's, there's a lot of contact centers out there. I can't imagine there's many just using DTMF IVRs as a freestanding thing with no data interaction whatsoever. It's a case of starting, starting small, starting on an isolated call volume because actually in the first instance, doing lots of regular releases. You're, you're changing things here and there. You are updating this, that, and the other. Um, you, you do it on an isolated call volume. You definitely reduce the risk that you're, that you're taking with your, with your customer population. As you Obviously, we robustly test anything before it lands, but you're reducing the risk of when you do land something. If something doesn't look quite right, you can just start to scale it back again, and then you can scale it back up. And those are the kind of things that, that you can start to take forward. But um, like I said, you know, identifying... Um, the, the way that customers are describing those issues and trying to root them um, in the first instance is, is essential, but doing that in a, in a safe way where you're not focusing on hundred percent of your call volume because you will be, you drown in the amount of amounts of things you need to fix in the first instance. If you oh like. yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's still one step at a time, isn't it? And over time you take enough steps, take enough small bites, it ends up amounting to, to quite a lot. And I think exactly. the thing with conversational AI is that everything's very specific you know, it's not yes. like you have like, arguably everything is almost long tail because even on, in, on a broad category level, there's some specifics that, that are unique to each customer kind of thing. Um, so I've got a, call, a comment from uh, Rajiv here, Phil from the business side, what it means when every one call is self-serve, what are the area it helps or improves the whole contact center cycle? 
Hold on, so what it means when everyone calls we'll come back to that maybe Rajiv I don't know if you want to expand on that Rajiv give us a uh, it's a bit difficult to do the reading and, and do the uh, do two things at once if you want to expand on that Rajiv we'll, we'll put that question to Phil uh, unless it was just a comment in, in which case uh, fair enough um, so so you kind of got to the point where um, you You've begun identifying those intents. You've begun handing calls over to LiveAge. We'll come back to the identification and verification uh, in a moment. Yeah, sure. Uh, you already had something which was handling uh, claims in the POC for blockages and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what was the kind of involvement from from that point? Once you'd brought kind of Sabio in, you've got an idea of which buckets you want to kind of prioritize. Yeah. Uh, you hand in some calls over to live agents. Was it a case of then beginning to step through, as you said, taking those small steps, chewing off each use case and starting to introduce automation gradually? Yeah, exactly. We, we, had to, we had to work through that cycle. Like I said, we had to identify problem type. Then we had to identify who that customer is because we can't do anything with automation if we can't bring up a policy, if we can't identify who that customer is, what they're covered for, where they live, all, all that kind of stuff that, that comes up. We can't we can't do anything after that point. So we have to build it up, up slowly to take it to then the sort of next stage of the process. Because essentially the way the process works is once we've got what your problem is, we know what engineer you need and then what you're covered for. Once we do that, we can pass that in to say, um, so Kane Sims has a, has a block toilet and he lives in um, Bedford, for example. We can then say, where are all our engineers in that area? We can then start to offer dates and times to that customer. So we had to build this up slowly, but we, we stopped at the point in which we we're doing IDMV um, to create an end-to-end -end automation journey. The last thing we wanted to do was start putting customers through a journey where we're asking them what date and time they wanted, and then kicking them out. So we, we, we stopped to the point, we, we know who they are, but we, we can now provide them with an agent experience where they can be greeted by name and so on at the agent at the agent front. Um, now we've got to build an automation use case, which is we, we, we've got to pass the information into our systems, we've got to find out what, what availability we have for our engineers on that date um, that they want, and then we've got to capture a phone number. Once we have that, we have a package of information that we can then pass into our claim system to say, here's a claim for this customer, and we're going to roll that van on that day to go and to go and uh, to go and fix that problem. Mm, interesting. Well, at what point did you introduce the the ID and V? And and so it sounds as though that as you mentioned there, that yeah. it was the initial utterance capture, problem identification, verifying who the customer is, hand it over to the agent in the first instance. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So so you were handed over from dialogue flow into uh, presumably either a biometrics or were you doing were you doing like phone number or network validation or how did you approach the? Yeah, so, so we, we first measure we, we detect phone number because essentially it's the um, it's the property that's covered uh, with with home so when it comes to claims so, so we, we identify a phone number we can pull a unique customer record from that phone number um, we don't need to ask any more questions we we can confirm a postcode back to them to make sure that we're, we're going to send the van to the right place to the right property um, if it's the right postcode then we'll will happily carry on into that process. But um, for things like customer service transaction sales and retention ones, for example, we, we have to do a much deeper level of data protection checks to make sure. So we ask the customer to provide the information back to us. So, you know, tell us your, tell us your policy number, tell us your postcode, just get those those three data points that we need to capture. So we had to do almost two versions of, of IDMV to make sure that we could get customers through the journey. Um, but we identified that pretty quickly afterwards because, like I said, we, we'd already done IDMV within our intelligent call routing application. So it was a lot, and we had a lot of reusable middleware. I think that's really important for when people want to start kicking this thing off. Start to ask the questions of what you've got already. If you have a, if you had, a, if you have a digital channel where you can raise claims, for example, you probably have a lot of the APIs you need to to start doing it in a voice 
in a voice um, in a voice automation manner as well. Mm. You have um, if it's a similar process that you're following, you're identifying a problem type. You're, you're trying to pull information forward from a system to offer job availability. You, you essentially have it already. It's just it's in a position where you are talking about two very different channels. Your digital channel is very visual. Um, you get the opportunity to display maybe a calendar. Um, with a voice channel, the last thing you want to do is start listing the next 14 available dates that you have. You're not going to do it. So um, we, we had to work quite heavily on, on the way we offered dates to our customers. We, we first started by asking an open question, say, you know, you know, when would you like the engineer to come and, and capture that data? Um, about 80 to 90 percent of customers just said as soon as possible today or tomorrow so mm. actually we said well why don't we rush off the, the earliest possible date and that's exactly what we did um i think the, the kind of insight you get from your customer um from from an, in, uh, an insight perspective in terms of what their expectations of the product are in that sense so you know i don't think we really asked the question before um as to you know when would you like us to come we now had this direct verbatim voice of the customer feedback saying actually when do they want to, when do they want us to come in the event that they have a problem in their home and we could actually pull that up turn it into a graph because we had the information saying actually that's what they want from us mm-hmm. interesting good example of using conversational data and kind of making improvements off the back of it which is again something that is um yeah definitely definitely best practice um so Rajiv, let's get back to Rajiv's question then. We've got, when IVR is able to provide self-service successfully, i.e. a call not going to an agent. So from a business side, apart from the average handling time, average waiting time and CSAT, what are the other areas that business benefits from it? Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let's do that then. So so what are the kind of... um, I was going to get onto that a little bit later. I might get onto that a little bit later, Rajiv, if that's all right, because we got. I was planning on trying to get into the the business outcomes and, and all that kind of stuff. But while we're in the middle of the the kind of like implementation stuff, maybe we'll we'll hang there for a second. Um, so that, that's that's a good example of um of of using that conversational data, iterating it, improving improving the customer experience and stuff like that. Um, you mentioned there the importance of having the you know, stuff that you already have, middleware that you already have, APIs that you already have, systems that you already use. Um, were, were, did HomeServe always have all of this stuff readily available? Or was there any things that were lacking that you had to do in order to enable some of these use cases? It's a, we had to configure a lot of things. So essentially, we've always got APIs that call from even agent front end. So if you've got a if you've got a claim system, essentially, that's calling to a back-end one to, to do things like pull agent availability, we, we have things like claims APIs. We, we can we can pull job availability APIs and so on. Um, I think a lot of that stuff is, is probably ready available within the, um, the, uh, the, the, the business itself. It's a case of you've just got to manipulate it. You've got to configure it to make it work for the channel on which you're working in. We don't need all the information. And one thing that hits us really hard, actually, when we first started doing this was Actually, latency is a big problem. Um, when, when it comes to voice automation, if you're um, having a conversation with a contact center agent, I'm sure um, there's other contact centers out there that experience those buffering screens between, okay, I've just loaded this information, I'm going to click next on my page here, clicks across, there's a bit of five-second buffer while it, while it sort of loads up the information forward. It, it, it can't be afforded within a voice automation environment. So, because a five-second wait time while you're waiting for the next question is really confusing, actually, when you're, when you sort of just provided some information, you're sort of waiting for a response back. It's not something you get. Even in a digital space, you can offer a sort of buffering screen to say, okay, you, you are waiting and expect to wait for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to manipulate and, and, and configure and, and even change in some way some of our APIs that we already had 
on board just to make it fit the dialogue flow model we were trying to fit. And actually, we, we even altered the, the dialogue flow model to deal with some of the latency as well. So the way we were asking questions and, and the kinds of questions we were asking, um, we had to extend the, the amount of which, uh, uh, you know, the, the time it took to say a phrase. And we even asked a customer satisfaction um, question at the end, and that's to allow the claim to be loaded into our claim system. It was it was actually a really nice touch because now we get um, now we get a really a really good understanding of the insight that the customer has following they book the claim. We can say just tell us what you thought of that process, and they can give us verbatim feedback as to what they thought. And that's because of dialogue flow. We get we get a looker application which which loads this information, and we can now dashboard that to say here's what customers think of it. Here's the verbatim response that they're now giving us following making that claim. But uh, yeah, yeah. So. It, you know, going back to the question with the with the middleware, a lot of that middleware is available. It just probably needs manipulating in some way, shape, or form to make it fit uh, the process you you want to do. But I'd always say, you know, designing that process and drawing it out first, and saying, actually, where do I need to call for information? Where do I, you know, what information do I need at this point in time in order to in order to drive the next data driven question I need to I need to offer um, is absolutely essential. Make sure it's mapped out. Make sure you get your middleware people involved to say. That's never returning for that period of time. You're never going to get it, and all those kind of things that, that comes out of it. Because you know there are problems that you can solve um, pretty quickly. Because that's essentially all the all the project becomes after you've after you've landed automation. The whole thing is around problem solving. Mm. You end up with a I call it a really leaky funnel. You've got this sort of all the core volumes coming into the top. This percentage then gets identified to a to a level in which we can raise a claim for it. This percentage then get IDMV. This percentage are eligible to raise that claim because they're covered or they, or they don't have any existing claims already. And then this percentage make it all the way through. And essentially, you're trying to get every single one of those percentages as close to 100% as possible. Uh, and that is not one problem. It's it's about 10,000 different problems that you've got to go and solve. Um, mm. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And every single part of the chain, you've got potential for, for dropout whenever you introduce a new system, a new API, even a new um, prompt from a bot. You know, you could ask it in a certain way. People might not understand it, don't really respond properly. You're then into kind of like grounding and all of a sudden things can kind of flip out from there. Yeah, so, um, that's a really interesting success stories off the fact that just, just rephrasing the question in a certain way. I mean, you know, things like um, we had, we had a scenario where we started putting excess payments in action. So we can take excess payments for the claims that we're raising. Um, we were asking questions about expiry dates. So we're asking a customer to enter their expiry date and there's, you didn't realize there were so many different ways of saying an expiry date that appears on your card, such as you, know, you think, um, you know, 0823, for example, it normally says, but people are saying August 23 or August 2023. And we ended up with a, with a really big um, uh, dropout rate between, you know, getting that, getting that security code and then getting the expiry date. So we just rephrase the question. So it's like, please say it as it says on your card, <laughs> in, you know, in a month, month, date, date, year, year format. And then we, we, reduce the dropout at that stage by about 20% just by rephrasing your question. We could do that in day because that's, yeah. the kind of, that's kind of sort of agility you get with the, with the technology. Mm. There's a lot that we said for for the design of the applications, and um, one thing is getting something te- set up technically. Um, but if you don't design it properly, then one, you don't provide as good experience, and two, yeah. you actually don't get what you're aiming for, which is people getting to the end of it. Um, actually, you know, the, the word properly is a, is a good debate point. Actually, when it when it comes down to <laughs> yeah. what, what should a robot sound like when it comes down yeah. to because you almost get. Some people say to you, it doesn't sound like an agent and, and it's almost you, you don't want it to sound exactly like an agent because humans are really bad at talking to each other and, and getting their point across. Um, a bit like I am sometimes when it starts to ramble. But it's if you 
it's a bit like when you speak to if you speak to an Alexa device for example you don't tend to say Alexa I'm feeling like I'm watching some TV do you mind just um, if you could just switch it on for me you tend to go Alexa turn on the TV and that's how you that's how you speak to a robot mm. so making it sound too human or making it sound too personable can, can often be a bad thing you tend to get customers describing a problem in a paragraph rather than rather than a short snappy sentence which is what you need when you're dealing with robotics Mm, interesting. How did you, because I know that you, you'd you worked on the personality design and stuff like that, which is, tends to be the first starting point for conversation design. How did you approach that? Because I know you gave the, you've got, you've given the assistant a name and all that kind of stuff. So how, how did you, how did the personality uh, get crafted and, and how do you make sure that in the dialogue you're kind of not giving a user a license to over-elaborate, should we say? So, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's a really good, really good point. Actually, we named it, we named it HANA because it's an acronym. It's Home Service Automated Natural Assistant is what we, what we went for. And it was named by the team, actually. We got to a point where um, we, we'd landed automation. We'd sort of, we created this thing and we had to name it because um, it, it was the team that came up with that. And obviously, we went out to brand and we said, yeah, is this okay? Can we call it this? And they, they, they loved it. And actually, it wasn't us that started using it in anger. It became out on a, on a business, an internal business comms. They said, oh, Hannah's doing all this stuff. I'm like, oh, actually, I hadn't actually used the name publicly until that point. We were just calling it you know, the program with CCA, Contact Channel Automation. Mm. Um, so we, we named it at that point, but it was sort of sort of named by the business at that stage because we, we had given it a name that we, we liked. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the conversational design, it, it's our, our guy that owns the intent model, his name's, his name's Ross Parks, and he puts a lot of effort into trying to reply in the same way the customer is talking to us. If they... If they um if they describe a leaking tap, for example, we don't go back and saying your you know your tap fault or your tap issue. It's it's your leaking tap because it's the way you just described it in this way. We're going to respond in a, in a similar way. Um, it's it's trying to speak in the language of your customer because a it puts them at ease. It, it describes the issue in the way that they're talking to us, but then also it means that they can respond in kind as well. Because then you're trying to get very small snippets of information. It is very difficult to decipher a paragraph, um, especially when there's so much different information in there. You're trying to make it really snappy, really specific. So once you've got asked that very high-level question, which is in a few words, please say how we can help you today, and you've got something locked down, it's then how do you ask the follow-up question in a way that gets the customer to the next stage of the process? So you know, we'll move from, you know, I have a leak. Okay, where is the leak? Is what you're asking. It's in my it's in my kitchen. Okay, what's leaking? It's my sink. Those are the kind of things that you you want to you want to keep it really really snappy and i think um you know we're, we're not trying to add an empathetic tone to it or anything like that because it's a robot doesn't feel empathy we're trying to make it so it's it's fulfilling the transaction the customer wants to fulfill if in any event the customer is struggling we, we only offer one retry to identify what the customer wants but then the out they, they are escalated to agent there's no there's no blockers we don't lock anyone in a process we don't put them in loops or anything like that if there's any issues they go to agent and then they can handle the call from there onwards Mm, that's good good practice because you're always going to get another chance on the next call and if you're monitoring what's coming through and you're monitoring your your escalations then it's going to be resolved at some point anyway yeah. you know so that's one thing we, we have as a team people if a customer drops out of this journey it's not there for it's ours we haven't done mm. we haven't built it right and i think that's that's one thing to take forward is is you can't um force your customers to respond in a certain way you have to adopt their way of speaking mm. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we've got a couple of comments here, and apologies, I can't see your name. It just comes through this sad to say, LinkedIn user. Uh, is it going to be recording, recording, available afterwards? It is going to be available afterwards. It will be published tomorrow on every podcast player. You can subscribe to vux.world forward slash subscribe if you want to get emailed about it, or just search for vux.world in any podcast player uh, or on YouTube or anywhere like that, and it will be available for you without a doubt. Um, Hello, Alex. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, cool. So, so what? Where is it at now? Then to 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 kind of like wrap wrap up in terms of like what it's currently doing. We've gone through uh, the journey so far, which is the the proof of concept. Turn that into a business case. You've got the open ended ask around how can I help you. You take yeah. that data, you categorize it, you prioritize your use cases, you start rolling out automated transactions for that you add the id and v in there so you can identify who the customer is you're escalating in the intents that you can't automate initially automating the ones that you can you're yeah. kind of dealing with some of the technical issues around latency and stuff like that trying to enable uh, the technology to be able to cater for some of these uh, more kind of advanced use cases you've designed you're putting some effort into to design what is it kind of at this moment in time what is it kind of like that the assistant that Hannah is is doing today? Then you mentioned you started with drainage blockaging. You've got yeah. escalation. Like, so what, what is it that it's doing today, use case wise? It's it's raising claims for all trades. Um, it's it's booking border services and then something called a border health check that we do. So it's a bit like your your MOT in the car. To, in order to be insured, you need to make sure that your um your you know your, your boiler is. is soundly working when we when we take on the cover so we have a border health check that goes with it um, and we also um, do general updates so if a customer calls says you know, I, I just want to know where my appointment is we, we can now start to provide that information back and actually um, we're doing 18 to 20 percent of our total claims now through through the channel so they're being fully automated by the voice channel it's around 20 percent of our boiler services are being booked by this channel as well and um, it's around five to six percent of our existing claims call volume is being reduced so collectively we're seeing around a, a 10 percent reduction in our total claims contact center workload um just being fully consumed through automation um additionally on top of that there's been lots of work to see if we can be more targeted to the way we're routing calls there's no point in, in having sort of like an existing claim skill anymore we now have down to a chase engineer or reschedule or cancel an appointment. We can now start to segregate those transactions into, into better trained agents and start to segregate these things out. And as a result of that, and then providing customers with, with uh, sorry, agents with whispers describing the issue, we've now reduced um, AHT by about 20 to 30 seconds as well within the contact center. Um, it, so collectively, it, it's consuming probably about 1.2 million pounds worth of the contact sense workload, which means that you know that those agents are there when we need them to be to, to answer the problems where where those transactions can't be fulfilled in an automated or digital fashion. Wow, that's really impressive. That is really good. Um, what, what we kind of touched on it a little bit there, um, getting into Reggie's question, which was around the kind of business value. So you, you reduced the average handling time by by about 20, 20 to 30 seconds, I think you said. Yes. Saving around about 1.2 million. Is that annually in the call center, broadly yeah, speaking? Yeah, yeah. So that's across, across the total call center. Yeah. 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 And, and it's handling, what did you say, 5% of total calls or 10%? Total 10% of our total claims calls. So, um, okay. so all, the, all the calls we receive about new claims, existing claims, um, any, any sort of deployment activity we get as well. It's consuming around 10% of that total workload. Interesting. And and how is it that the business is measuring this? Is it these numbers that they're measuring or is there anything else that you're, you're judging the success of it on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's those numbers. Um, and, and also we measure customer satisfaction. So um, we, we, we have a... a 
a ran- it's called a ransom rave survey. So it's the, the provider that we use it. It's called ransom rave. And for every claim raised, traditionally we were sending out a, a, um, a survey to say, you know, what, what did you think of that? What did you think of the agent? And so on. You know, how much effort did it take? Uh, and so on. And um, we started doing the same thing. So we, we essentially set Hannah up as a user, uh, like like a contact center agent. So now for every claim that Hannah raises, we um, we send out the same survey and we ask how you know what you, what did you think of that? Um, and, and the scores are, are better than the agents, but you know I always say take that with a pinch of salt because you, you tend to make the agents' life harder by removing the easiest stuff. Mm-hmm. So everything that we do successfully now doesn't hit an agent, but everything we don't do successfully does hit the agent. So I can't I can't you can't sort of take you have to take the scores uh, with a bit of a with a bit of a selection bias behind it because um, you know the, the agents will receive the things that we can't handle so that they have a bit of a harder job when you start to when you start to become um, better at doing these transactions mm. of course the, the agents are also the people who unfortunately uh, are the ones that end up getting to say no if something if something isn't quite right or the policy's expired or you're not quite covered and this isn't covered or whatever you don't want the bot to be the one saying no you kind of want the humans to do that because they handle it better so inevitably they're not going to always kind of get a positive response you know the biggest one we get is is day selection so we will say you know we can be with you um tomorrow afternoon for example and then someone will go no i want that sooner and we'll go oh okay sorry can't handle that Persuasion. <laughs> they don't have any more availability than we've offered them, but uh, we, we do have exceptions that we can start to, to then route them through. So they can, you know, dip into our deployment teams and start to pull in the exceptional circumstance that you know this customer does need us quicker. In, in this sense, that um, mm. they can start to dip into an exceptional volume and start to pull through, um, uh, you know, additional engineer availability if they need to. So. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to go into uh, a sort of back and forth with a customer in a robotic environment. It doesn't doesn't bode well because if you're not getting what you want from a robot, you get immediately angry with it. It's not. It's not like you do with an agent where you can have a, a decent conversation with a human. Um, you've got to be re- really really careful about how many retries you offer a customer during a journey. And we actually have. It's called a looping escalator. So if the customer says the same thing more than more than twice, it's kick to agent we just try and handle almost every exception just by go to the agent we're not finding what you want just go, go, go speak to the go speak to the contact under agent at this point yes yeah. it, it keeps us safe we, we don't want to, the last thing we want to do is make customers angry with a piece of technology i think that's that's the worst worst scenario yeah yeah because they don't get angry at the technology they get angry at the at the company you know it's like uh it's it's home serve that's the problem it's not the bot you know it's uh yeah exactly just, you know, we've got to make sure that we, we are able to fulfill that need. And we, we are, in, in the majority of cases, we can we can fulfill that need, but it normally requires some sort of exceptions process, which I'm not, you know, you don't want to start building those sort of 5% scenarios into a, into a robot because it's just, it will, will never pay back for a start. I think that's, that's one of the biggest things. Mm. You, you never, if they don't come up often enough, it, it's just focus on the high volume, easy transactions. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I've often kind of advised that when you begin this then you've alluded to it already but when you begin this stuff it is like employing someone because as you said it, all of a sudden there's, there's now a, there's an additional part to your call center <clears throat> it's handled in real actual calls yeah. um and not always successfully so you need to be on it and monitoring it and improving it over time and it is like it's like employing someone um yeah. But it's interesting your approach to uh, measuring the success of it in actually treating it like a someone and measuring it on the same kind of metrics and, and, and values and such as you measure the actual employees from. I know speakeasy do something similar, but it's it's an emerging way of measurement 
that at the minute. Yeah, it's performing the same task. It's consuming the same workload that we'll be landing with a human being if, um, if if we weren't automating it. So you have to treat it with the same level of rigor and, and quality checks. In fact, we we, we get um, a thematic review from our quality department. So the same people that do reviews on our agents are doing reviews on, on Hannah. And we, we quarterly, we send them a lot of calls and we say, Here, here's some stuff, here's some successful and unsuccessful calls that we've had. Tell us what you think of them. Tell us what we can improve upon. And, and, and exactly the same way you would with a coach in a contact center or, or a quality check in a contact center, we do the same with Anna because it, it's a case of we don't want to be in a position where you're treating this thing any differently because it's doing the same job. Um, it, it's, it's really important. And we're now getting to the stage of, of this operational handover, which is we've created this thing, it's consumed the workload. It now needs to belong to the contact center because it's now essential to them because if it's consuming 10% of your workload, if it goes down, there's now another one in 10 calls that's going to enter your contact center. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. We've got a couple of questions coming through here, Ben and Oliver. I'll get to those in a minute, but uh, Phil, you do have an example of a call yeah. that we can play, don't you? It'd be nice to, yeah, to, to round up this with uh, with listening to how it actually sounds and then, and then Ben and Oliver will get to your questions. No problem. Uh, we can... We'll try again. ...get you to the right place in a couple of words Please say how we can help you today. Blocked drain. Is the drain inside or outside your home? Outside. Thank you. Please bear with us whilst we check your policy details. This may take a few seconds. Great. I have found your details, Mrs. I just need to make sure we have the most up-to-date address details for your policy. The postcode we have for you is DN16. Is this correct? Yes. Now let's get an engineer booked. The earliest we can be with you is today in the morning between 8am and 1pm. Shall I book that in for you? Yes, please. Thanks. On the day of your appointment, can the engineer contact you on the number you're calling from today? Yes. Okay, please wait while I book that in for you. While I do so, in a few words tell us about your experience of booking an appointment with us today. Very easy. Thanks for your feedback. Your appointment is booked today in the morning between 8am and 1pm. The engineer may arrive at any time during the time slot, and they will call you when they are on the way to your property. Please can you ensure that there is adequate parking and provide any permits if this is required. Thank you for calling home, sir. Would you like to discuss anything else with us today? No, thank you. Thank nice. you. Goodbye. That's nice. That's one call reduced. I think the thing I would say to people with this is, we, we tried to create something really passive. Like the majority of what the customer was saying there was, was yes, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's no problem. Yeah, thank you. Because we sort of asked the question, you can go into this to say, we need to collect a postcode. Well, if you don't need to collect a postcode, you can just play one and say, is that right? Yes, it is. Um, we, we need to get a date off the customer. Well, if you don't need them to provide one, you can just offer the earliest and say, is that okay? Yes, it is. Um, you know what phone number they're calling on because you can detect that to the CI that they're, they're phoning on. Um, can they use the same phone number on the day? Yeah, they can. There we go. So, you know, with, with three yeses, we've gone from the start to the end of an automation process um, with, without having to actually collect um, any information that needs to be provided by the customer because we, we, we've got it already. We, we can 
play it to you and tell you, is this okay? Yes, it's fine. Um, if that gets you through the experience, it's it's passive because anytime you, you ask to enter a lot of information, you can enter a, a phone number or an email address, it becomes very complicated. Um, so you'll be very careful with that. Yeah, definitely. What I do like about that is, the, as you said, the bot does the heavy lifting, you know, mm-hmm. and it's uh, the whole thing's over quicker than you can imagine. Um, and even the the elaboration at the end there, where the, you know the, the Hannah is kind of giving the, almost like the T's and C's, the small print. It could be here at any time and all that kind of stuff. Like because the the appointment's kind of being booked and it was done so quickly that kind of lasting a little bit longer, you can still kind of pay attention to it because the bot's already done the heavy lifting for you. You haven't actually put any effort into the conversation so far, really. I think it's, it's like you're fulfilling the transaction. The transaction they've come for is, you know, I've got a bot drain. It's outside my home. I need an engineer to fix that thing. I've now got that, and you've confirmed that you've got that. So the engineer will be with you on this day and time, and they'll call you when they're on the way. It is it's almost the the product that the customer's lifted off the shelf. I've got that. I'm happy with it. So everything else is now... You, you know, you, you need to hear this before we before we get terminate the call. But also, we're going to ask you if it's okay to terminate the call. Is there anything else you want to discuss? Mm. If they actually answer yes to that, we can send them back around and say, okay, what would you like to discuss? And then we've had people raise second claims. We've had people put boiler services off the back of it. We've had people talk to the sales department and, and things like customer service as well. Because it's just a case of, you know, the call doesn't have to end there. You fulfilled that transaction. You, we've, we've stopped that one call from going into the contact center and you've got what you want out of it. It's now... What else would you like to do? Because we can offer anything else after that. Yeah. Well, once you've got the capabilities set up, you can just bring them back around to the almost the beginning and, and run them through it again. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay. We'll still got some people tuning in. If it's all right with you, if you've got another couple of minutes, I'd love to get to Ben and Oliver's question. If uh, if that's all right. Uh, so Ben, I think we kind of answered this, but maybe Ben might have tuned in a little bit later. So uh, he's Ben Hazel's asking, do you set your fallbacks to one and then transfer to an agent? or give the bot multiple chances to clarify the customer's intent? So we have, we have one extra retry. So, so essentially you um, will provide us with an intent. If we don't recognize it, we'll say, sorry, I didn't quite understand that. Um, we'll even repeat the question actually in some ways to try and get the customer to say it in a slightly different way. We'll say, um, you know, if, if we just asked, you know, what's blocked, for example, uh, and you've provided us with something, we'll say, sorry, I didn't quite understand that. Could you tell me what's blocked? It, we'll try and reiterate the question back to them rather than have a standard fallback. But we only ever do that once. If they if they don't get it the second time, they'll hear a message that says, let me pass it through to another team that can help, and we'll pass them through to an agent at that point. We, we, only ever, we, do, we don't want to try and sort of trap them in to try and get what we want out of them. It's a case of if, if we haven't done it twice, then we're probably not going to do it a third time. Um, yeah. So we'll make sure we'll take from there. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Oliver's question is, Oliver Day, thank you for this. Is there anything that you've experienced or did during the implementation that you would definitely avoid if you had to do it a second time around? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I think, what's the biggest thing I'd avoid? The second <laughs> um, I, think, I think checking things like system latency, because that was definitely one of the biggest things that hit us was, when, when you're working with products like Google Dialogflow, they tend to have a, a hard five-second timeout on, um, on on returning information back. Um, we'll probably consider just just checking our APIs, make, make sure we do some robust testing because your test environments are never the same as your production one. So, you know, we get a one-second return of information in the test environment. It's probably nine seconds in the, in the prod environment when you eventually overlay everything on the back of it. I think, I think another thing is... Um, is being more prepared for the amount of data you're going to get out of this um, and, and making sure that you've got someone who, who understands data and, and can coordinate behind it. Luckily, we, we did. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a long background of, of sort of process implementation and process control and so on, and, and our operations um, 
you know, sort of that chatbot manager as well, who's, who's that's Ross Parks again. He has got a long history of, of operational data and then sort of organising data into a way in which we can understand what goes on. So I think making sure that you have someone in place prepared to take this this sort of glut of information and and be able to organise it into into readable pots, I think, is really important. Because right. um, there's so much additional insight you can get off the bar as well. I mean, we we now provide information back to the business, so. So where we offered that today, tomorrow, or, or another date, we can now say for all the customers who are being offered a date, how many are being offered today, how many are being offered tomorrow, and how many are being offered any day in the future. And we can start to say, what's our engineer availability looking like now? Because just off the back of, of what we can pull out of dialogue flow. So when you learn to, to sort of coordinate behind the data and organize it, you get a lot of insight, a lot of powerful insights out of it. Mm, absolutely there's no better data source than how people actually speak and what people are actually talking to you about and you can feed that back into the business you can also actually feed that back into the actual agents themselves you know if, if you know now that offering a date is far better and, and more successful than just saying when do you want your appointment booking all of that stuff that you learn about how to design a conversation is what you can feed back into agents when you retrain and all that kind of stuff yeah, that's, that's actually what we did so we ended up taking the, the sort of script that we created within the bot and we fed that back to our to our first notification of lost colleagues and we, we adopted a script within within the claim space which which was was similar but not the same as uh, what we did to try and make it more passive to get customers through that journey because we were raising claims in you know um, two minutes we were, we were fulfilling a claim from start to finish um, where as a content center agent would probably take around five, six, seven minutes to, to complete mm-hmm. that claim. So it's just taking out um, a lot of the waste. You don't want to start asking loads of questions that you potentially don't need to. I think it's, um, it's really important. Mm, nice. Nice. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Really inspiring and, and definitely timely because 2022 is, I mean, the momentum behind Voice AI in the call center is absolutely kind of tremendous at the moment. And, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, f- to be able to share that with people who are interested, um, you know, tricks of the trade, pointers, learnings and, and the results as well. I mean, the results have been really, really good. And the, the, the kind of message that I would sort of take from it is that, <clears throat> There's a few, there's a few, there's a few interesting things there. One is being brave enough to just go with something that you aren't going to automate all initially, which I think is a big risk factor for people. We don't just want to have a bot there that says, "How can I help you?" and then not be able to help people. So there's yeah. a, there's a, I think there's some having a bit of bravery and, and going with that for the purposes of gathering data to then inform your strategy and roadmap is absolutely wicked. Actually, a really interesting point is, is you know, your executives do do require a lot of trust because there's going to be lots of stuff that you, you're going to write a business case, which essentially is going to have a line in it that says we're not quite sure what we're going to find when we do this thing, and and you know, it's not it's not an insignificant investment, especially you know, on this kind of technology which is relatively up and coming. It's evolving quickly, and it's and it's becoming um, definitely more. In the public space, I mean, everyone I know has a home device in the house now, and they talk mm. to robots all day, and I control everything in my house with it now. It's a case of, um, you know, you to get that business case across. There's got to be a lot of trust from your executives, and, and unfortunately, at home, sir, we 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 managed to gain that trust, and and you know that, that trust has paid off as a result of this. So it's been good. Mm, absolutely, absolutely, it's really good. Um, yeah, fantastic. Lots, lots of good learnings in there. What we'll do is uh, this will be published for those on LinkedIn. If you want to listen back to it, it'll be on the podcast players tomorrow. For those of you tuning in on the podcast, uh, thank you so much for doing so. For those of you tuning in uh, live, thank you as well. Thank you for the questions, Rajiv, Alex, Ben, Oliver, uh, Elen Kiran. Apologies if I've mispronounced your name, Elen. 
Say again? Ellen Sharon. He's our, he was our tester. Um, oh, right. Ellen Sharon. Nice. <laughs> Very nice name. Ellen Sharon. Wicked. He says, great conversation. Thank you so much. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Cheers. Okay.